Welcome to the PCA Power of Positive podcast powered by Tapivo. I'm Jason Sachs, PCA's Vice President for Business Development and Philanthropy. Thanks to Tapivo for their support of this podcast series. Tapivo is a new platform that is America's youth sports directory. You can use Tapivo to find, review, and back youth sports programs near you. To learn more about Tapivo, visit tapivo.com. Today's guest on the podcast is Danielle Slayton. We caught up with Danielle on the campus of Santa Clara, where she is in the Hall of Fame as a standout soccer player. While at Santa Clara, Danielle led her team to the national championship, was named NCAA Defender of the Year and NCAA Scholar Athlete of the Year. Danielle went on to play for the U.S. women's national team as well, and you'll hear some great stories from her time on that team. Today, you can catch Danielle on Fox Sports Soccer Coverage, where she'll be calling this summer's Women's World Cup from France. Enjoy this week's Power Positive podcast with Danielle Slayton. Welcome to the PCA podcast. We are excited to be joined by Danielle Slayton, former U.S. Women's National Team player, um, also a Santa Clara Women's Soccer Hall of Famer, national champion. Uh, We could go on and on with the introductions, (laughs) but most importantly, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, and so... um, Everybody knows, or if they don't know, they're going to learn a lot about your background and all that you've accomplished within the soccer world, um, not only as a player, but now you have a coach, but now as a broadcaster on TV, um, and we'll talk about the upcoming Women's World Cup. But I want to start at the beginning, and growing up in the Bay Area, um, obviously you became a professional soccer player, but what was your youth sports experience like, and what other sports were you playing, and then how did soccer sort of rise to the top? Um, I was a kid who played a lot of different sports. Um, I actually started playing soccer because I was five years old and breaking stuff around the house and, um, soccer started on Tuesday. That was the next sport. And my parents were like, we are entering her into that. Um, and I joined just a local recreational team. I actually was the only girl on an all boys team, but that's because girls soccer wasn't quite as prevalent in the eighties. Um, and I started playing soccer when I was five. I also started um, doing ballet. I did ballet for quite a few years um, until I was in middle school as well. Um, but I was a kid who played a lot of sports. Um, I grew up in a family that was a big track family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ran track. I played soccer. I did ballet. Um, in middle school, I also did volleyball and softball. So um, was definitely somebody who was exposed to a lot of different sports. I think that served me very, very well um, once I did finally decide to choose soccer specifically. Um, but I was a little bit even late to the game in that I know now kids are specializing much, much earlier, but I didn't choose soccer until I was maybe 15 yeah. or 16. So a little bit late to the game in that. Um, But just, you know, I really enjoyed being part of a team. I think that was a differentiator for me, especially when it came down to deciding between track and soccer, that I liked being part of a team. Um, And so I ultimately chose uh, when I was a sophomore in in high school to just focus on soccer. So you said late to the game, Mm -hmm. um, and you talked about kids specializing Mm -hmm. early. Obviously, you went on to play at the highest level. So what are your thoughts on the rush to specialization now and kids choosing one sport at such a young age and what would your advice be to kids and parents when they're trying to navigate okay do you know I feel like if my kid doesn't play year-round soccer they're going to get 
you know, lost and yeah. they're not going to then be able to play for the elite travel soccer club or they're not going to make their high school team. You know, yeah. like what, what advice would you give? I, I mean, from a big picture perspective, and obviously I'm biased, right? Like I'm coming to it from my perspective and what I lived. Um, I'm really against specialization early. Having said that, I'm not a parent and having to navigate the politics and the reality of what it's like to manage and um, deal with coaches and clubs and, and manage the pressure that mm-hmm. you probably feel that wasn't there when yeah. I was that age. Um, so I felt like what keep, kept me healthy was um, being like playing a variety of sports and I used different muscles and I gained um, different strengths when I was doing ballet, for example, that I feel like I fully used when I was a pro soccer player, my flexibility, those kind of things, my balance. I think, think that those things that I learned in different sports helped me in soccer. So I always encourage parents and kids um, to try to keep the variety as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I also think too, I mean, when I was a college coach, I can't tell you how many times I had players come to me who were burnt out and exhausted by the time they were freshmen in college. And they had been doing soccer their whole life and that's what they knew and they felt like they had to keep doing it because they didn't know anything else. Yeah. And it maybe really wasn't the right fit for them to continue to play. And I think part of that was the fact that they had been doing it for so long and had been grinding for such a long period of time. So um, I don't know, that's very yeah. anecdotal, but that was my experience. And I think that the more variety you can have, the more joy you have for sports and right. appreciation you have for different sports if you can do it a little bit longer. Yeah. No, I, I think the, the research shows that, that a lot of kids will you know, that burnout of because it's become basically like a full-time job for them because they're playing year round that by they've been doing it for, you know, 10 years by the, before they get to high school sometimes, you know? And so it's, it's crazy. I loved it. I mean, I loved that, like, you know, looking forward to softball or looking forward to, to volleyball. And I can't say that I was as serious about them, but it was just for fun and it was a break and it was refreshing um soccer was always kind of the priority and track i would say was also a a high priority for me for for much of my youth but uh, the other sports were were fun and i got to represent my school and things like that that uh, i think kept that joy alive for me you mentioned joy um what is it that a youth soccer coach specifically maybe soccer um at the youngest level can help keep joy in the game for kids? Like, how do we keep it fun? You play. Um, And and I I really think that a way to continue to build joy and to build fun is to search for that and then reward it, right? So I think that we're really quick to reward goals and reward results. Um, And so then that's all of a sudden what I start paying more attention to. But if I can, as a coach, focus on joy and reward joy and reward laughter and point those things out, um, I think that's huge. And I think it's an uphill battle because that's not naturally what we deal with and what we see in society. Uh, I mean, I'm in television. My job is to talk about results. My job (laughs) is to talk about (laughs) the things um, that that we notice and that we track and that we count. Um, And that's a little bit counterintuitive to what I think um, we should be focusing on, especially at a youth level. Yeah. The, I love the reward joy. We talk a lot about PCA, you know, effort goals. So mm-hmm. when you're focusing on different goal setting, it's not just the results-oriented things, but effort. But I think the whole idea around joy 
is a good one as well. Yeah, so. yeah. One of the things when I was coaching this youth team in, in Chicago was we used to, I mean, the reality is, is, you know, we do talk about MVPs and scoring goals yeah, and, you know, you're course. at a tournament that's, and yeah. you get first that's place or whatever. It, right. That's part of it for sure. Uh, but what we used to do, which I thought was always pretty fun, was um, uh, if we had a tournament, which we didn't have a ton of tournaments, but if we had a tournament or a long weekend or something like that, um, everybody would write down um, the MVP of the weekend. So who they thought was the most valuable player of the weekend. And, but then that person had to give the award to someone who helped them be the MVP that weekend. So you didn't actually get the award if you were the best player or the most valuable player, but if you supported somebody, um, and often what would happen was the the MVP would talk about, well, oh, because this person made it so much fun for me, or I just loved hanging out with her, or she just made it great. And so I think that was an example of a way we tried to kind of reward something like that. Mm -hmm. You talked earlier about... um, your current role on TV as a broadcaster. Talk about that transition from a player, and was that something that was always in the back of your mind of, hey, one day I want to try to be on TV, or how did that all come about? Uh, No, that's a short (laughs) answer. (laughs) Um, No, I never really thought about it. Um, And I think, you know, growing up, they're just, you didn't see women on TV, you didn't see women soccer players, you know? I mean, I grew up wanting to be Ronnie Lott and Jackie Joyner Kersey. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, because that's what I saw. And you didn't see women's soccer. I mean, the first time women's soccer was the Olympics was in 96. Right. Um, and I was 16 at that yeah. point. So, um, and I don't think I really thought about being on television. It was something I studied. It was not something I studied in school. Um, but I was coaching at Northwestern University when the Big Ten Network started. And um, that was the first college network. Now, I mean, you've got... Pac-12 and ACC and everything, but that was the first one. And so when I was deciding that I wanted to leave coaching and kind of try something else, this opportunity presented itself and someone said, hey, can you talk about soccer on TV? And I said, yes. And I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think because it was a new network, everyone was kind of learning. So it was a good place to to make mistakes and Mm -hmm. to try things and to gain experience. And I did. Um, And I I really just like telling stories. I love... um, getting to share things about players and people that you might not otherwise know about. And soccer is the way that I get to do that. Television is the way that I get to do that. Um, I would say that I am a little bit lucky in that right place, right time, working Mm -hmm. hard, and a door opens and you sprint your booty (laughs) through it. Um, But I've really enjoyed giving back to soccer and it's a way right now when I'm not coaching that I can kind of keep my my toe in the game and stay involved um until I get back into it yeah so you mentioned storytelling um PCA is going to be honoring three of the most well-known women soccer players and Julie Foudy Brandi Chastain and Mia Hamm and um you were teammates with with them um what, what are some of your best stories of them as players as leaders as teammates and what did you learn from them so I learned a ton. I mean, I think back to my time with the national team and I think, gosh, I am maybe one of the luckiest women in the world because my friends and my teammates are the biggest badasses <laughs> ever. And they um, have changed so many lives around the world and I get to call them friends and teammates and colleagues. Um, but I think about um, Julie and I think about her willingness and her energy to just jump in and to make a difference. Um, and she just 
makes a decision and goes. And she constantly reminds me um, that being a leader and changing the world is just making a really small choice to do something. Here's a problem. Here's what I'm going to do about it. And it might not change the world in step one, but step one sometimes is all you need to get to step two and step three. Um, so she's taught me that a ton. Um, I would say Brandy, I, I was really kind of a backup to Brandy. She yeah. played left back when I was um, on the national team and that's what I played a bunch too. Um, and so I was always learning about the game from her. I was always watching her. My goal when I was on the bench was to give her at least one piece of advice or one mm -hmm. thing that I've observed in the first half that would help her in the second half. And it was a way to help me stay ready in case I went into the game. Um, but that's something that I have always kind of respected and learned from her is how can you give to somebody else? And her being better made me better. Yeah. Um, and that real camaraderie is something I feel like I've taken with me. And her just love and joy for yeah. the game of soccer. I mean, you talk to her for five seconds and, right. and that like just Comes exudes through, right. out yeah. of her pores. Um, and Mia, I would say, I mean, I don't think that there is maybe a woman a woman in sport who had to really like bear the burden of all women in sports on her shoulders i mean yeah. she carried so much of our team in terms of being the face and being that public persona um, but not just for soccer but really for all women at that time and all women in sports um and her grace that she did that with her um confidence even though she wasn't always confident and didn't right. always love to be the, the public persona um, but her willingness to um, always put the team first and always sacrifice for the team is something I'll always take with me it's interesting you look at the three of them all different personalities yet all good leadership traits so I think that's a really good lesson to be learned is that leadership shows in a lot of different ways yeah I mean I think to me the most important thing when it comes to leadership is being authentic um, and being self-aware to your strengths and who you are and then giving that to the world. What was the team culture like on the national team? You know, you mentioned a lot of really good positive characteristics about it, but being a part of it, what were some of the things that really stuck with you and how did you maintain that positive culture or, you know, obviously playing at a really high level, but it also looked like you guys were having fun and it was a great experience. So how do you balance those two things? It's hard. I mean, it was competitive. And I don't think that, you know, these veteran players like, you know, Julie or, or Brandy or Mia, um, and, and not just them alone, but like all of the veteran players um, on the team, they weren't going to cuddle you and they weren't going to say, oh, it'll be okay. Like they were going to kick you and they were going to demand more of you. Um, and it was hard, but it was from a place where we know you're going to be okay. And we are demanding more and we are expecting more because that's what we do as a U.S. women's national team. Um, we compete and we fight. And I think that mentality um, back then and even today when you look at the players today continues to separate um, ourselves, conti continues to separate the United States from the world. Yeah. So those three really trailblazers in, in women's soccer. But you recently made history when it comes to soccer and broadcasting where you were part of the first all-female yeah. team to... <laughs> broadcast a men's game. So talk mm -hmm. about that experience last summer. That was a great experience. Um, I kind of can't believe it all happened. It was a crazy weekend. Um, but it, um, it was humbling. It's an honor. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of progress that needs to continue to be made in women in soccer and women in sports. And, and I think you see it bubbling to the top in lots of news and media right now. Um, but 
again, kind of, you know, I think about Julie Foudy and I'm like, man, we just, we all have to keep taking little steps and we all have to play our part. And that's what it felt like. It felt like this was my part. This was my role. And it might be a very small thing in, in the, the grand, you know, the grand scheme of all things, but, um, it was an honor. And I would say too, the thing that stands out to me most was like the players and the coaches and the staff from DC United and New England Revolution who were just so gracious and so willing to help us succeed. And I think that, you know, when I think about the progress that that we make as women, I think it's twofold. I think it's women demanding certain yeah. things and yeah. asking for things. And if you don't get it, then demanding, probably <laughs> right. ask first, then demand second. Um, but it also is incumbent upon men to who are in positions of power to say, yeah. no, like, this is the right thing to do and you're coming with me or this is a door that needs to be opened and you're helping bring somebody else through it. And it, it, it's so frustrating to me when we talk about, oh, this is a women's issue. This is women's right. stuff. No, it's human issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all need to play a role in um, continuing to make sure that half of the population has the opportunities that they should. Yeah. And that, I mean, right now, big in the news is the women's national team and yeah. the pay equality and um, I mean, I think there's so much support from other women athletes, but I think there are a lot of men athletes out there that are saying, yeah, yeah. It's, it's time. So, I mean, I think just as, you know, Julie, Mia, Brandy, and others were helping put soccer on the map, and now it's, you know, this team is now advancing it even more. Yeah, and, and I don't think that progress happens in a straight line, right? I mean, you, you look at times when there's jumps in progress, and you look at times when you feel like, Things aren't moving at all, or maybe things are even moving backwards. And I think this is a big opportunity for a big jump. And I really just hope that women's soccer can be a platform, not just for sports, but for other industries as well. I mean, the beauty of the women's national team is that they are in the public eye and they are successful and great and supported in many regards and in a way that maybe women's doctors aren't or, you know, in other fields. And so I really hope that we can use this platform in sport to help generate momentum in other fields too. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to hear from our presenting sponsor. Thanks to Tapivo for being a great supporter of PCA and this podcast. Remember to learn more about Tapivo, check them out at tapivo.com. Also make sure you listen to the previous episodes of this podcast, including one with Tapivo co-founder and U.S. soccer legend, Brian McBride. And now back to Danielle Slayton. So one of the things we like to do on the podcast is ask everybody five quick hitter questions. Okay. I have to Um, answer fast. Well, no, but you just need to, (laughs) one of the first things that comes to your mind. Got it. You think long, you think wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. So outside of soccer, what's your favorite sport? Track and field. Watching? Yes. Uh, Well... I mean, I don't run anymore, let's right. be honest. <laughs> You're not going to bust no. out the um, four but by one. I love, I just, I love in track and field what, that there's so much going on, right? You have mm. events, and it's just such a broad variety of events, from a sprinter to a, you know, three miles, you know, to the hammer throw to long jump. Like, there's just so much going on, and it's, yeah. I love, I could sit out at a track meet on a Saturday and Sunday and just enjoy it. That's awesome. A broadcaster that you either look up to or that has helped you 
get your footing and helped you improve along the way. For sure, Julie. Yeah. I mean, she was like the first call I made with, oh my God, I have <laughs> to I talk do? about soccer on TV. Um, but I also really, really respect Doris Burke. And I think that for me, I'm, um, I'm, I have a few different roles and my roles are continuing to expand a little bit in the broadcasting world. So I get to be on the sideline. I get to be in the booth. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do some hosting. And I really respect the variety that she has been able to, to tackle and be successful at. And so she's somebody who I'm always watching of what kind of questions does she ask? How does she phrase certain things? And, um, she's somebody who I think has really opened a lot of doors for a lot of women. She's the best. She She is. is. She's just, she should be on the yeah. top broadcast yeah. team. Like, not a sideline reporter, but mm-hmm. in the booth. Yeah, yeah. I so, like her a lot. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, the women's national team wore jerseys with um, women on the back of their jersey mm-hmm. of somebody that they looked up to or um, had a big impact on their life. So if you were playing, mm-hmm. who would be on the back of your jersey? That's easy. Jackie Joyner Kersey. Like, track. Are we yeah. noticing a theme here? <laughs> I think that's just because I grew up with that. Um, but for sure, I wanted to be... I wanted to be her, and there used to be a, um, a track meet here called the Bruce Jenner track meet. That's weird, but <laughs> Bruce Jenner track meet was in San Jose every year, and I'm not kidding. Like I would chase Jackie Joyner Kersey around and get her autograph, and she was a heptathlete, right? So she had seven events, so she was out there all <laughs> right. day. No joke. I have this one, um, this one program. And I think I have her autograph on it like seven times. Like I was that kid. I was that kid who was chasing her around for sure. That's amazing. Um, Who's your pick for the Women's World Cup this year? Um, This is going to be like, it's going to seem like a cop-out answer. But for sure, I mean, I think the U.S. is the favorite by far. I think it's their tournament to lose. I think they are maybe the deepest team that we've ever fielded as a country. Um, Having said that, a tournament is tricky. Like yeah. one thing can go wrong or one little unlucky break and it all it, explodes. Yeah. I mean, we saw that in the Olympics, right, right in yeah. 2016. So I think the U.S. is the favorites, um, but I really like France in France. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there could be an interesting matchup. There could be a, a, a collision, if you will, in the quarterfinals between the U.S. and France in Paris. Ooh, so yeah. get your butt to France <laughs> for that game. Um, but France, France is always a team that looks great. And then when the pressure comes, that's when I really am unsure about France. So to me, France is going to go storming through the rest of 2019, and things are going to get real for France, not until the quarterfinals, regardless of whether or not they they face the U.S. So France, I think, is somebody who's also interesting. And England right now has me really, really intrigued. And they have a swagger. I was talking a little bit about the mentality of the United States and how it's always been a strength of ours. Like, England has a little bit of that, and that is a dangerous thing because I know how powerful it is. When you right. get into those tight games, you're like, Ooh, we just know we're going to win today. We just yeah. have this attitude about us, and we're going to find a way to make it happen. And England has that a little bit. Um, and, you know, France is close to England, a lot of home, you know, yeah. a home uh, kind of crowd, if you will. So those are the, the few that have me the most intrigued right now. So I'm going to sidestep before yeah. the f- fifth question to follow up on that. So mm-hmm. what can coaches do? You know, youth high school coaches, whether they're coaching soccer, whatever, like if you were watching with your team, how do you watch the Women's World Cup and use that as a teaching moment for your high school team or your youth team? Like what are some people that can do to make this, you know, teaching during it while you're watching the game? I mean, I think even something as simple as 
asking a team to watch a game and to pick out their favorite player and why that they're their favorite player. And then, you know, what are the things that this player is doing that might make you better at your game? I mean, just something as simple as that. And if a player doesn't know who their favorite player is, and maybe you do, you could say, okay, look, go watch, you know, the United States and, you know, watch Lindsey Horan or right. watch a specific player who you might want your, your player to be able to mimic or to yeah. learn some things from. I think that, you know, in this age, specifically in soccer, where we're talking about, oh, you've got to train more, you've got to train more, you've got to do this, that, and especially in the Bay Area, I think about, oh my gosh, how many time do kids spend in cars dealing with traffic and driving <laughs> right, to training? Right. But how could we say perhaps, like, look, instead of training today, what I want you to do is watch a half, mm -hmm. and here are the three questions that I want you to answer. Like, there is a really, really powerful way to develop the tactical side and the mental side of yeah. the game that doesn't force you to be like physically on the field doing something yeah my favorite player is Megan Rapinoe just oh, so yeah. you know yeah yeah so, watch her I know copy I her everybody should do yes that. <laughs> <laughs> all right last question um, the name of the podcast is power of positive so when you hear that phrase and you think about your playing days or just the overall experience that you've had within sports what do you think of when you hear power of positive um, I think of a couple of things. I think of um, my parents who have had a really, really positive impact on me um, and giving me the freedom to play a lot of sports and get to do what I want. I think of my youth coach, Philippe Blinn, who just taught me so much about the game and did it in a way that kept the positivity and the joy so I still wanted to play when I was right. 20 and 25 and even now, though my body doesn't always allow it. Um, <laughs> And I think of my teammates, um, and I've had a lot of different teammates throughout the years in youth and college and high school and, and professionally, and I just think about how much I learned from them, how much I learned in the game that I use every day in my life now as an adult who isn't on the field. Um, right. And I just think about the positive impact that sports has had in my life that I use when I'm no longer playing sports. Great. A great way to end the Power of Positive podcast. So Danielle Slayton, thanks so much for joining us today. Everybody keep an eye out for Danielle during uh, this summer's Women's World Cup on Fox Sports. And if you're in the Bay Area, uh, check her out on San Jose Earthquakes coverage as well. So thanks so much for being a great supporter of PCA and a great um, ambassador for women's soccer and women everything. Thank you. Happy to be here. Woohoo! Better athletes, better people.